This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. We wish Professor Richard Gershon a safe travel flight today uh, to the conference he's attending. So today we're going to be talking with the executive director of the Mississippi American Civil Liberties Union, an alumni of Alcorn State and Mississippi College Law School with a 20-year military career, including active and reserve duty. Welcome, Attorney Jennifer Riley Collins. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, we're so glad that uh, you're here today. We'll give some background to the ACLU later, but first we want to talk about the the Smart Justice campaign that's that's going on. Uh, generally, tell us what that is. So the United States um, is suffering from a an addiction to prison. Yes, and so uh, here in the state of Mississippi, we are the third highest per capita uh, for the number of people that we incarcerate. And so the ACLU, um, as a nationwide organization, launched a campaign for smart justice to hopefully uh, reduce the incarceration rate across the nation by 50 percent by the year 2025. Okay. And there's there's a website, votesmartjustice.org. What will someone find if they go to the votesmartjustice.org site? So if you go for the votesmartjustice.org website, um, you'll get it to compare candidates. Uh, our criminal justice system is uh, tearing up families, destroying communities, and wasting taxpayer dollars. Um, any At any point when we are spending um, $327 billion dollars, on incarcerating people in the state of Mississippi, that's a waste of taxpayer dollars. Um, we should look at how we can keep people out of prison. And so our, our Campaign for Smart Justice provides some recommendations. And I'll talk to you about our blueprint in a little bit. But the website basically allows you to um, compare candidates uh, that are currently on the ballot um, so that we can inform the public and uh, the public can then elect candidates who will end uh, the addiction to mass incarceration. I gotta ask, does the website favor Democratic candidates over Republican candidates? It does not. Uh, the website is a public education tool. Uh, the ACLU does not endorse any candidate. Uh, we are a nonpartisan organization, nonpartisan, but we understand that in order for people to make informed decisions, they must have information. Mm-hmm. And so what the website does is provides information, um, public information that is 
is uh, uh, we, we researched and pulled um, quotes from different candidates on how they are uh, would address if they're plat- if they've given any statements on their platform regarding um, how they would side on on the issue of criminal justice reform. Then we lifted up um, those position statements. I was excited to go to the website to see it, but then a little disappointed because it is the ones running for Senate in Mississippi and the four congressional seats. We've got all of these uh, local judges that I'm not sure who to vote for. Yes. But, but it is just the national, uh, the, the people running to go to Washington, D.C. That's correct. That's correct. I, I will tell you that, um, you know, this is a national platform. Right. Uh, the, the website. Uh, I wish we had the resources to uh, drill down a little closer to home in each of our states. Um, unfortunately, we don't. Uh, <laughs> but I would encourage um, each uh, voter to engage those people who are running for office, uh, whether you're running for judge or you're, you know, next year we'll be having prosecutorial elections, um, to ask them some key questions about how they um, would decide on criminal justice matters. Um, um, When you talk to, because we have a lot of people running for chancellor as well in the state of Mississippi. So chancery court is a court of equity. And when you think about the connection between the chancery court and the criminal justice reform, you think about the fact that maybe the father is incarcerated uh, or the mother is incarcerated, but they are the non-custodial parent. And um, so there's the child support uh, piece there. Um should that child support be suspended? You know, that's a decision that gets made by the chancery court that's impacting a person who is incarcerated. So there is a connection uh, between the two courts. And so ask them those key questions um, when you're encountering people knocking on your door or seeing people standing outside of Walmart asking for your vote. Ask them, you know, how they would make the decisions that impact your life here locally. Uh, Again, next year we will have prosecutorial um elections uh, where our district attorneys will be elected ask the district attorneys you know how um, you know what their position is I will tell you and and, and I know it's 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 popular to be t- quote unquote hard on crime um, but let's instead of being hard on crime and locking people up for small uh, nonviolent offenses let's be smart on justice and instead uh, if a person can be instead of arrested receive a summons and told come to come back to court they should come back to court and the prosecutor gets to weigh in on that um, the prosecutor gets to make a recommendation particularly when persons are taking pleas um, about 80% of the cases that come before the courts um, criminal cases uh, end in a plea bargain and so the prosecutor should make uh, reasonable plea negotiations um, and not throw the baby away with the bathwater, so to speak Right. Well, we're talking today with attorney Jennifer Riley Collins. She's the executive director of the Mississippi ACLU. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love for you to give us a call this morning. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-RING. 
7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We've been talking a little bit this morning about the, the votesmartjustice.org, where individuals can find out information about some of the people running for uh, senator or for our representatives. And this is not just a Mississippi program. This is a national uh, concern. Yes, it is a national concern. Again, uh, across the the country, there is a... um an issue with people being with over incarceration, with mass incarceration, uh, and so the campaign for smart justice, uh, which is an ACLU nationwide campaign, uh, released um, about a month ago, a month and a half ago, uh, our blueprints for smart justice, and there was a blueprint done for each state based on state data, um, and this was done in uh, partnership with the Urban Institute, and what. Um, one of the one of the um, things that we found in the state of Mississippi when we were looking at the data is uh, uh, the issue of bail reform um, because we have a lot of people that end up incarcerated. So let me talk to you a little bit about some of the data points. Uh, on any average day in the state of Mississippi, we incarcerate in the Department of Corrections custody about 19,000 people. Uh, in local jails, about 12,000. That is not included in the 19,000 number. Uh, of the those who are incarcerated, 56% of those incarcerated in local county jails have never been um, charged. They've, never, they've not been convicted of a crime. Right. Um, and so you are literally sitting in jail, not convicted of a crime. Why? Because Mississippi has an over-reliance on money bail system. Right. Uh, and so one of the recommendations that uh, the ACLU of Mississippi's blueprint uh, makes is that the state of Mississippi must take a long, hard look at its bail system and its over-reliance on wealth uh, for freedom. Right. Well, we'll talk about that and some more of the other issues. We're going to take a break right now. If you have a question, you can give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. One other piece of information that the ACLU can give out is, do you know your rights at a border crossing? We'll we'll tell you what to expect when we come back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. All right, we're back. 
Thanks for listening to In Legal Terms. We realize that not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. If you miss any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. So that's one way. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. Professor Richard Gershon is out today. This morning, we're talking about the work that the ACLU does with attorney Jennifer Riley Collins, their executive director. And one thing that's on their website is the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution protects Americans from random and arbitrary stops and searches. And according to the government, however, these basic constitutional principles do not apply fully at our borders. For example, at border crossings, also called ports of entry, federal authorities do not need a warrant or even suspicion of wrongdoing to justify conducting what courts have applied what courts have applies within a 100-mile border zone around the U.S. And I think on the website it says, like, two out of three Americans lives within 100 miles of, of the U.S. border. So that's an interesting little fact on your yes. website. Um, we understand that a lot of our listeners, they love to listen to our radio show because they don't have access to the Internet. We've talked about the votesmartjustice.org website that lets an individual know you put in your address and they tell you the name of your the, the senators or the representatives in your area. But uh, what if someone doesn't have a access to the internet, is there a way they could find out how the representative running in their area, uh, what's their standing on these issues? Yes. Yeah, so if you call our office at 601-354-3408 and provide us your address and zip code, we can look up the candidates uh, that will be on the ballot uh, in the November 6th election, and we can give you information. I will encourage my staff to give you information about all candidates because we want to make sure that we are giving everyone doing public education regarding every candidate. Right. All right. Um, From the website, I noticed that there are six goals uh, prioritizing treatment and rehabilitation over mass incarcerations and prisons. Yes. Eliminating wealth-based incarceration and debtor's prison, racial disparities, uh, more opportunities after release and ending collateral consequences, living with a criminal record, and supporting politicians, law enforcement leaders, and judges. So uh, recap a little bit again about prioritizing treatment and rehabilitation over mass incarceration in prisons. Yes, uh, we're more than happy to do that. So um, disproportionately... um well, let me let me let me bring this home to Mississippi. Mississippi is truly struggling with providing mental health services. Quite a number of people who are incarcerated in the state of Mississippi are there because they have a mental health concern. One of the major drivers of incarceration in the state of Mississippi is uh, a substance use um, problem set. And so what we are really advocating for is that the state of Mississippi divert funds from um, 
private prisons from incarceration and instead put those uh, resources, those uh, precious taxpayer dollars into uh, mental health and into substance abuse um, treatment instead of locking people up because locking a person with a mental health condition up or locking a person with a drug addiction or a substance uh, abuse disorder um, does not in fact solve the problem. And in, in, in very often it worsens the problem. You know, we know from the news media that, unfortunately, the jails are not always um, secure from having drugs within them. And so putting them, you know, in that situation only exacerbates the problem. It does not fix it. Right. Right. So one of the other goals is uh, eliminating wealth-based incarceration and mm-hmm. debtor's prison. And that was something on our April 3rd. 2018 Public Defenders show, we talked about the Mississippi Public Defender Task Force report that also uh, spoke about the incarceration and essentially debtors prisons. Right. So you have the two ends of the spectrum when you when you look at the criminal justice system. You have the front end issues and then you have the back end issues. On front end issues where we talk about bail reform, um, unjust and for-profit bail systems needlessly lock up millions of people who haven't been convicted of a crime, as we talked about earlier, simply because they cannot afford to pay the bail. So as the um, ACLU approaches this, we're looking to overhaul this harmless system that strips people of their rights, targets poor people, people of color, hurts families and communities. So let me give you an example. Um, One of my sons, when he was in college, you know, sons never want to call home and tell mom, mom, you know, I got a speeding ticket because when you call me, you're going to get admonished. So son didn't want to hear that. So he got a speeding ticket. Maybe he have gotten another one, but neither of those speeding tickets got paid because he did not have the money. Um, And so one night there's a call that comes into the house late and my son has been locked up. He's been arrested, uh, stopped by the police because his license was suspended. Because when you don't pay your tickets, your license gets suspended. Um, Don't pay your tickets, don't go to court. And so, um, like a lot of teenage kids, that's, you know, that's what happened with him. Fortunately for him, um, his mom could go and hit two ATMs, ATMs in the middle of the night and pay his bail. And so the next day he went back to college. He, you know, he returned to work and life never stopped. That is unfortunately not the situation for 56 percent of the people who get arrested mm-hmm. um, in the state of Mississippi and held in county jails. Moms can't go and hit. And if, if, if I'm telling you I hit two ATMs in the middle of the night, you, you know that that <laughs> bail was pretty high, right? Because ATMs cap out at about $400 or they did at that time. So, you know, this was in excess of $400 that I had to come up with, you know, in the middle of the night to get my son out to pay his bail. Right. Most people don't have that kind of cash available. I just, it was a fluke that I did. (laughs) (laughs) I work for a nonprofit. Let's get that straight. (laughs) You know, and, and, you know, even though we make light of it, um, of the fact that I was able to do that, most most people are are not. And what happens when we talk about those ancillary impacts? You don't pay that bill. You can't afford to pay that bill. Then you sit in jail. And you, when you sit in jail, you don't get to graduate college because you miss school, or you don't get to go to to work the next day. Most people um, who can't afford to pay bill are already struggling from you know can to can't. Right. Um, 
And so if you are locked up, then you lose your job, then you lose your home, you know, or you can't pay your child support or you can't provide for your child. So what if you are someone who, you know, even though you left the children securely while you went to work, if you got arrested on the way home because you hadn't paid a ticket, then that means grandmom or cousin or auntie or someone is now taking care of your children while you sit in jail because, again, you cannot afford to pay the bail. A domino effect. A domino effect. Exactly. And so... That's the front end. Again, have not been convicted of any crime. Now, when we talk about debtor's prison, that's the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, in that a person may have been convicted of a crime, and so they have been uh, given a fine. And what happens is, through the use of private probation companies, the courts, instead of handling the fines themselves, they turn you over to a private probation company. The private probation company then um, tax on their fees. And so not only do you have this fine that you couldn't afford to pay, because if you could have afforded to pay the $200, the $500, whatever that fine was immediately right then, you would have instead of being turned over to a probation company that then tax on fees on top of there. And so basically you become indebted because you are uh, impoverished. Right. Right. Yes. We're talking this morning with attorney Jennifer Riley Collins. She's the executive director of the uh, Mississippi ACLU. If you have a question or would like to participate in our show, we'd love for you to give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING, and that works out to prefix 877 672 7464 and our email is legalterms at mpbonline.org so these are two of the issues that the ACLU currently is is passionate about uh, what does the ACLU do about this what what is their what is their actions on concerning these issues what are your options to so action? advocacy and public education always um, um, legislation we we advocate at the state capitol every year for smart justice reforms um, we were um, uh, a partner in bringing about the changes that came up place as a result of HB 585, which was 2015, and HB 387, which was passed into law last year. Um, both of those addressing um, uh, parole eligibility, addressing um, debtors' prison practices, and so each each year we approach the legislature with uh, legislative proposals. Um, that we hope will continue to drive down uh, Mississippi's over-reliance on incarceration. Uh, And when necessary, so public education and advocacy, legislation, and when necessary, litigation. Um, I never wake up and go, how can I sue the state of Mississippi today? (laughs) Mississippi is home for me. Uh, It is where I return to uh, willingly. Uh, Nothing drove me back to Mississippi. Well, you know, I did get a scholarship to go to law school, but I stayed because because I believe that there is work yet to be done here. And so uh, it is where I have raised my children, where I'm raising grand. Well, my sons are raising um, their children. So my grandchildren will grow up here and I'm a taxpayer. And, you know, when we sue the state of Mississippi, the taxpayers pay the cost of that. Um, 
when the state of Mississippi is found to be in the wrong. And, you know, I, I will tell you, we don't file lawsuits willy nilly, but on occasion we have to. And so, um, because, again, there's work yet to be done in Mississippi, and, you know, it's necessary to ensure that, you know, everyone is treated with dignity and fairness. It is, looking back historically, a number of the ACLU national uh, uh, litigations, they're kind of hard to swallow because they have been uh, supporting organizations that others may find abhorrent. But I guess if you don't have justice for those you disagree with, your justice is taken away, right. too. Right. If you don't have justice for all, then you have justice for none. We, you know, the government should not get to pick and choose um, which day it supports the Constitution and which day it doesn't. You know, um, you in my bio, you said 20 years in the military. I served the military for 32 years. Okay. <laughs> um, I retired uh, June of 2017. Uh as Colonel Collins, and I am proud to say that I served the military, that 32 years ago I lifted my hand to and swore to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Um, and it is why I do the work I do at the ACLU. It is a continuation of public service. Why do I bring that up? Because sometimes we have... Um, elected officials, we have uh, governmental people who pick and choose when we want to apply the Constitution. Take, for instance, take a knee, okay? That is a constitutionally protected um, right of freedom of expression. Um, I fought, you know, I left my children and went to war so that we would be able to preserve those rights and extend those rights um, to others. And so, you know, I believe in the Constitution and I believe the Constitution applies for all. I was attending a meeting yesterday and the gentleman, I'm, I'm not sure which uh, phrase that was used yesterday offended me more, uh, except that he said, well, Ms. Collins, the um, the state of Mississippi is not an atheistic state, and this was an elected official. And, you know, and I said, and neither is the ACLU, so we believe that people uh, have a right to believe as they want to believe and choose not to believe if they choose not to believe. And the state of Mississippi cannot in any way endorse one religion over another um, because that's what our Constitution provides. Yes. All right. All right. Well, it's time for us to take our next break. We hope you're enjoying our discussion today with ACLU Executive Director Jennifer Riley Collins. Uh, if you want to be a part of our show, if you have a question, folks, don't wait for the last minute to call because the time just will fly by. Our number is one 877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Do you know what your rights are when you've been stopped by police? What if you're arrested? We'll give you some details when we come back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Uh, we've talked about two ways you can listen to our show online and through the app. The third way is for subscribing to our podcast. We have a little internal uh, race to see who has the most uh, podcast subscribers. Come on in, Legal Terms. We can beat Fix It 101. So go to your uh podcast platform maybe you use stitcher itunes i use podcast addict and click subscribe and we want to let you know that next week we've got a special show it's going to be our good news show a show on how lawyers have made a positive difference in society i'm sure we'll add uh, with some of the work for the aclu uh, and that's going to be on our october 23rd show at 10 a.m our our guest today is attorney and executive director of the Mississippi American Civil Liberties Union. It is Jennifer Riley Collins. And, you know, I mentioned uh, what do you do if you uh, get stopped by the police? Um, Their website, I found this so fascinating, the the Know Your Rights fact sheets. uh, They not only have it in English, they have it in Arabic, Chinese, Creole, Farsi, French, Indonesian, Korean, Portuguese, Somali, Spanish, Tagalog, Urdu, and Vietnamese. Yes. So that that's a handy thing, maybe for those kids who are going off to college. <laughs> this would be fantastic. I say that because I have a daughter, and um, she had to drive to Iowa, so her uh, Missouri speeding tickets got emailed or got mailed to our house address. Yes. So <laughs> that's how we found out about the speeding tickets in Missouri. So you understand. So I know, but uh, it's a know your rights sheet that talks about if you're stopped by the police, if if you're stopped in your car, if you're asked about your immigration status, if you're arrested, if you're taken into immigration, and if you feel if your rights have been violated, if they come to your home, uh, this is just kind of a handy-dandy sheet to look over uh, so that you know what's there because that's the thing. You never know when you're going to need it or when someone in your family may need to know that information. Yes. We've got some calls. We're going to go to Jackson. Sandra, thanks for calling in to uh, In Legal Terms. Go ahead. You're welcome. Um, my question is based on my son riding with a friend, and the officer pulled him over. Well, pulled him over. He was not the driver. The officer pulled him over, pulled him over, and long story short, they were all were charged with um, receiving stolen goods. They were not Mirandarized, but however, they were taken to jail, and we had we paid like a $50,000 bond for his release. So how do I approach the whole idea of them not even being Mirandarized and also everyone in that car being charged with the same charge? So, yes, ma'am, I would encourage you to... Um Retain the uh, services of counsel. If you cannot afford counsel, your son should be appointed a public defender mm-hmm. um, by your local um, by 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 the judge. Um, when your son uh, went to court, there should have been if if he was not already represented by counsel or could not afford to be represented by counsel uh, at his own expense, um, then he should have been appointed a public defender. I would strongly encourage your son um, to speak honestly 
closely with the public defender. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will tell you, ma'am, uh, as I used to tell my my clients, uh, parents, uh, there is a uh, attorney-client privilege between your son and the attorney, but not between your son and you. And so allow him, and I, I'm speaking to all moms out there because I, I, I had too many clients whose mom said, just go in there and tell the truth. You know, go and tell the truth to your public defender, and that is uh, the person with whom you need to speak with. Otherwise, tune to what I call WKMS, which is keep your mouth shut until you are speaking with your attorney. Um, and uh, ha- have your attorney maybe uh, go in uh, based on your son's um uh, financial status and uh, see if you can get the bail reduced okay. um, if he is is still incarcerated uh, he has a right to uh, help in his own defense and that is the reason um, so bail is set up so that people will return to court um, in Mississippi however there is not an assessment of, uh, of whether or not a person can afford the bail or that they can pay and so those are some of the reforms that we are working on but I strongly encourage you to allow your son to uh, exercise his his uh, right to counsel okay great all right thank you Sandra we appreciate you calling in to in legal terms uh, next we're going to go to Flowood Ken thanks for being a part of our show today oh, you're welcome uh, my uh, comment or question uh, concerns uh, the uh, statement earlier in the program about taking a knee uh, and uh, as an expression of freedom of speech. Go ahead, Ken. Oh, oops. Uh-oh. Oh, Ken. Oops. I'm sorry. Uh, Ken, go ahead and give us a call back if you can. We're sorry that uh, we lost you. Uh, so can, li- I, can I um, point this out, Please. Liz? Um, so the, the, the mother that called regarding her son, one of the things that the ACLU worked on, uh, we released a report of uh, striking the right balance. Uh, last year because we are concerned about police accountability and transparency. Um, And so across the state of Mississippi, you have departments that have gotten body cam systems, the body-worn cameras. Um, And um, across the state of Mississippi, you have no uniformity regarding how those, uh, regarding the policies for how those body cams are deployed. Shortly after Ferguson, uh, one of Mississippi's uh, legislators um, proposed a bill that would have mandated um, body cams be worn by all police forces. Now, every police force cannot afford the body cam systems, even though there are some grants out there. Um, We're not advocating for body cams to be mandated uh, because that would be an unfunded mandate basically in the state of Mississippi and that cost will be borne by the local jurisdiction. We are, however, advocating that if um, local law enforcement agencies acquire and deploy body camera systems, that those body camera systems take into account privacy, that there are policies that uh, prevent field editing. That means the officer turns the camera on and off willy-nilly. That gives a person the right to access the film if they're in the film. That uh, governs how long that film is kept. That governs whether or not a police officer, before he writes his report, 
court can uh, view the film so that then we have a report that is written that sort of matches. Um, instead, he should write that report from the best of his memory, the best of his knowledge. Um, and so we are advocating for uniformity uh, in state law that if um, local jurisdictions deploy body camera systems, that these things should be in their policies. For instance, when we talk about privacy, and a uh, let's say it's uh, a police officer comes upon a, a situation where a a woman is a victim of domestic violence or she has been sexually assaulted. A, you know, the woman should be able to say, hey, I would rather not be recorded. And she should be given that opportunity to have that turned off because it's already traumatizing then to have someone sitting there and you know you're being recorded. Or if I knock on your door and you're, um, if a police officer knocks on your door, you should have a right to know that that police officer is recording because his camera is catching things that are in your house. And in your house, you have an expectation of privacy. And so we just want to continue to advocate for the passage of a uniform uniform uh, set of standards for law enforcement agencies that do deploy uh, body cameras. That way, body cameras are a win-win, not only for the police, that keeps them safe, um, but also that keeps the public in trust of the uh, police department. All right. Oh, good. We've got uh, we've got Ken back from Flowood. Uh, sorry, we, we whatever happened, happened. Ken, go ahead. We want to hear your comment. Yes, it's the digital age, (laughs) and uh, us older folks have a problem with that. (laughs) Uh, But uh, my my question uh, concerns the the comment about taking a knee and uh, that being a a right to speech. Uh, And uh, I don't think that's correct. I may be wrong, but uh, the the first ten amendments, uh, refer to protection against government interference, not private business uh, interference. And the NFL is a private business. And it would seem to me that the owners uh, do have a, a property right uh, to tell the, the, the players, this is the way I conduct my business. Isn't that correct? So, Ken, when I was speaking, this is Jennifer Raleigh Collins. When I was speaking, I was speaking about um, the right to protest, the right to peacefully protest, and um, but, but that there should right not to, be government. There, in, uh, Ken, please. There's no I, right to protest. Uh, it, that's not protected in a private business. Ken, I'm referring to governmental in, interference because what happens very often, we see things play out on um, the television. The government should not take a position on on that we have had coaches in the state of Mississippi who uh, because we have students exercising their rights say well you you cannot play on my football team you cannot play on this football field if you choose to exercise your right the Constitution the Supreme Court has already ruled on this matter that students do have a right to take a knee I was not referring to the NFL I'm referring to the First Amendment right and that is a First Amendment right and the government cannot infringe on peaceful protest no, um, no peaceful protest but not uh, 
Uh, if it's out in the public, uh, this is a private enterprise, isn't it? Uh, well, the, the I, Ken, I think you were talking about the NFL, which is a private enterprise, and uh, mm-hmm. our attorney, mm-hmm. Jennifer Riley Collins, was talking about uh, right. maybe kids who are in school, um, not those who are playing for oh, I, a sorry, company. I, I heard her say take a knee, and usually that refers to Colin uh, Copernic's uh, case. Uh, so uh, but, uh, but I just wanted to bring that up. Thank you very much, Ken. We appreciate you listening. We are talking today with uh, ACLU attend, uh, Executive Director Jennifer Riley Collins. We're talking about some of the work that they do. Um, what, uh, what work about racial disparities is that uh, some of that that the ACLU has been working on? So um, I, I will tell you, it seems like race runs through all of the work that we do, whether it be um, equality work um, for our LGBT uh, community members, uh, whether it be the criminal justice reform or uh, educational opportunities. Uh, when we talk about our smart justice issues, um, one out of every three black boys born today can expect to go to prison in his lifetime, as can one of every six Latino boys compared to one in 17 white boys. Um, And at the same time, women are the fastest growing incarceration population in the United States. And, uh, you know, I often hear the response to that, and I wouldn't be surprised if a caller called in and said, well, then black people and Latino um, boys shouldn't be committing more crime. And I will tell you the facts do not bear that out. Uh, What tends to happen is that low income and communities of color tend to be targeted uh, more often. Uh, Laws tend to be written that uh, make it harder on some than others. You know, uh, I I don't want to see any child addicted or any person uh, addicted to any any, um, substance. Uh, It tears families apart. Uh, But we have to think about um, and so I, let me stress that, that I understand that that is, is, is a horrible issue. I've, I had to deal with it in my own family. Um, but I will tell you, when we talk about the opioid crisis, it is a crisis. When we talk about the war on drugs, the war, it's a war. And unfortunately, how that played out was that that was played out in communities of color. And there was not help given. Instead, people were incarcerated. And we talked about the drivers of mass incarceration in the state of Mississippi. Most of the drivers are uh, drug-related crimes, uh, where when, you know, disproportionately um, people are being receiving care when it's an opioid crisis because it's not my community, it's your community. And so we have to be mindful about the policies that we put in place as well as the narratives that we use because a black and brown child is no more dangerous than a white child. Um, And so, you know, I just want us to be very mindful when when we're making policies. When we think about 
um, some of the other programs that we've worked on, the use of restraint and seclusion, six times more likely uh, an African-American child would be restrained or secluded in, in our educational classrooms. We have children three to six times more likely to be put out of school. Those That's denying our children the educational opportunities that they should be afforded. And so we have to think about why are certain laws or regulations, rules being carried out more harshly when it comes to black and brown children than it is uh, to, to white children. When we think about uh, simple possession of marijuana, research has shown that black and brown uh, young men use marijuana at the same rate that white young men use it, except that black and brown young men tend to be put in jail for use while white young men are sent to treatment. Those are facts. Those are not, that's not research that I did. That's not research that the ACLU has done alone. That is re, that is research that has been vetted by um, the general public. That is research that has been done at some of this nation's most lauded institutions. And we have to address that because race does run through. And so part of our campaign for smart justice goal is to ensure that we combat these racial disparities that are happening throughout our our criminal justice system. All right. And we're going to hear a little bit more about the Smart Justice Program and more uh, work about the ACLU when we come back. Uh, Here's another teaser. If a worker is pregnant, postpartum, or breastfeeding, uh, they have rights to be protected. Do you know what they are? We'll let you know how you can find out when we come back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms today. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms it's also available on the mpb media app as are all our local shows i'm liz gill professor gershon's going to be back next week and we've been talking with executive director of the mississippi american civil liberties union and aclu.org the national website has know your rights that uh tab has so many different divisions that either have drop down menus or printable sheets on various topics uh, to let you know what your civil liberties are. So yes. 
Uh, one thing that I found so interesting on the Mississippi's ACLU, and it's ACLU-MS.org. If you don't have a website, I'll give out the number in just a moment for their office. But on the website, it has uh, legal observers, and people can uh, request uh, a legal observer. They can also request training, and their phone number for the office uh, here in Jackson is area code 601-354-3408. So tell us a little bit about what is a legal observer. Yeah, so we created the Legal Observer Program uh, in early 2017. Legal observers are impartial volunteers who attend demonstrations and marches uh, to ensure that everyone's rights are protected. Um, their peaceful right to protest is upheld. During protests, observers are, are seen as neutral, uh, but they are present. Uh, and again, they are there to observe rather than to participate or demonstrate in the protests. Right. Um, we train legal observers to understand that they are basically suspending their First Amendment rights to, in the protection of others. Um, observers position themselves alongside, but separate from, marches and demonstrators, uh, and they wear um, our legal observers if they are, can get our vest um, sent to them, uh, wear ACLU Mississippi observer vest, so that you know that they are there to legally observe and not to participate. Um, our observers attend events to document interactions between protesters and law enforcement officers. Um, legal observers, however, do not intervene uh, if uh, there is the issue of a law enforcement interaction. We, however, will uh, document the interaction. Uh, we have about 50 volunteers that have been trained already uh, in the state of Mississippi. Uh, when we put a call out, uh, a dispatch, uh, um, they come. Uh, we most recently observed citizens protesting um, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith's uh, vote uh, to approve now Justice Kavanaugh at her uh, downtown office. We also uh, legally observed the Women's March, um, the march in uh, Canton regarding uh, the Nissan plant and uh, President Trump's visit. And I myself was a legal observer recently at the Tupelo uh, Pride Fair uh, where they had a, a march down the road uh, in Tupelo. It was their first ever Pride Fair. And so uh, we were there uh, and happy to observe uh, uh, to ensure that the marchers were able to do so peacefully. And so if someone wanted to uh, ensure the you know, to, to be an observer, there's training. Yes, there's legal training. Uh, there's training to be a legal observer. Just contact our office. You can um, contact uh, Zakia Summers, who is our director of operations. Uh, I'm sorry, director of communications and advocacy. Um, Zakia's um, email is zsummers at aclu msorg or call our office. Again, that number is 601-354-3408. If you uh, individually or you have a group uh, in your community that would like know your rights training, legal observer training, uh, we're more than happy to come out and, and afford that uh, for you uh, because we believe that people cannot exercise their rights if they do not know their rights. All right. We have 30 seconds left. <laughs> so what do you want to leave with our listeners? That the ACLU is here to uh, continue to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. I really want to encourage everyone to participate in, in the most most fundamental uh, democratic principle that we have, which is the right to vote. Justice is on the ballot. 
please go out and exercise your right to vote. That's right. And if you missed it, our show, oh gosh, um, three weeks ago, we had Senator uh, Delbert Hoseman on talking about the importance of voting. We do want to encourage everyone to go out on the first Tuesday of November. Lots of different races. Try to be an informed voter. You can find links to the things we've talked about on our website for this show. So that is wrapping us up for today. Our call screener today was Java Chapman and our board engineer has been Jay White. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. We hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.